welcome to Swarthmore Presbyterian Church's podcast. This is your host, Alex Evangelista. We are delighted you are here, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You are now listening to a sermon recorded for the 20th of June, 2021, titled, In the Spotlight of God's Love, by Rev. Sarah Cooper Seerite. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As Alex shared in our welcome today, beginning this morning, we, went, we enter into our summer worship series. Each Sunday during this season, when we find ourselves outdoors more often, taking walks, listening to the birds, splashing in the pool or digging in the sand, paddling inlets, soaking up the warmth of the sun, or finding relief under a shady tree, staring up at the stars, feeling the warm rain on our skin. In this season, Each Sunday, we will consider texts and themes that lift up God's creative and creating spirit, praising God for the gift of this world around us and remembering the place of God's creatures within it, including, of course, ourselves. In fact, this is where we begin, with the spotlight on humanity. Mrs. Lehman was my English literature teacher my senior year of high school. She was a woman of great poise, careful and attentive teaching, and high expectations. She stands tall in my memory for much of what she taught us in that year, though two particular lessons carry with me today. First, and important for a graduating senior looking forward to the gifts they will receive at the end of the year, was a purposeful way to write a thank you note. Acknowledge the gift, write something specific about how you will use it and your appreciation for it. Include a personal note. Close with a final expression of gratitude. This rough formula still informs my thank you note etiquette to this day, and I am surely passing Mrs. Lehman's wisdom to my children. In addition to expressing gratitude, Mrs. Lehman taught me to read poetry, to read it, to take delight in taking it apart and putting it back together, to love words and structure for the depth of meaning they can create. In awakening to a different realization to the words, uh, to the power of words through poetry, a love of scripture, I think, was deepened in me. As I realized these were not simply just words, but story and poetry that reveal something new every time. A living word creating meaning. This love, not, uh, nurtured unknowingly by Miss Lehman, who also happened to be a member of my church, 
forms an important part of my call to ministry. So it felt right that in seminary, I happened into another teacher and mentor who taught us to love poetry, to go beyond taking it apart and putting it back together, but also to be moved by it, to hear it, to attend to our poets, listening with an ear to what was being revealed. In her class, in fact, it was Dr. Carter Florence. Yes, that's Reverend David Carter Florence's partner, Anna. Anna introduced me to Mary Oliver, a poet of creation and of creatures, an observer of the grasses, the roses, the wild geese, and her dog, Percy, of grief and joy and love and contentment and faith, who located herself in the midst of all of these with awe and wonder. Oliver's ways of putting words on all of these things with such beauty is the reason that for several years here at SPC, we gave as a gift to our outgoing elders and deacons a copy of one of her collections of poems called Thirst. The collection begins with this poem entitled Messenger. I invite you, if you are willing, to close your eyes and to tune yourself to what is being revealed. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude, to be given a mind and heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren, to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. My work is loving the world. We could easily imagine these words as though first from the mouth of God himself, creator of sunflowers and quickening yeast, old boots and sleepy clams, sheep in the pasture and the pasture, these body clothes, and yes, observing poets too. With intricate knowledge of us all, the sparrows, the hairs on our head, my work says God, is loving the world. In scripture, we might recognize these stanzas of devotion in different meter, from the gospel poet John, perhaps. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Or perhaps in the prophet, poet, Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, creator of Jacob, former of Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Or of course, the psalmist, poet of all poets, who characterizes best our most authentic response to God's creative work, praise. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. You are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. God's work is loving the world. And at the center of that world, us, humanity, It would seem then, were we attending to our poets, that our work would be praise, gratitude, joy. But sadly, we look for something a bit more glamorous than awe. Being at the center of attention feels better, if we're honest. For so many years, we have assumed this this centered place in creation, surely, our spotlighted position on God's good earth. For we are of more value than many sparrows, are we not? We wear it with pride, hold dominion with ease, hold on to it with orthodoxy, Genesis 1 and 2 at our right hand. We adopt and adapt to the spotlight so well that the rest of creation is groaning from the heat of it, from our inaction and our action. Here is the litany we well know, but bears repeating as we stand revealed under the light. In the last century, scientists have documented an increase of just over two degrees Fahrenheit in the Earth's surface temperature, with most warming just in the last 40 years. For reference, that is my lifetime, approximately. Oceans have warmed by 0.6 degrees Fahrenheit since 1969. Ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica have decreased in mass by hundreds of billions of tons per year in just the last 30 years. Glaciers are retreating in almost every place around the world. Sea levels have risen approximately eight inches in the last century. Extreme weather events are now so common we can hardly recover from one before another comes. Creatures are being forced from their habitats and going extinct. Plant life is straining to keep up. And the United Nations claims climate change as a driving factor in displacement for vulnerable people and communities across our shared earth. All of this, while in the spotlight, 
we have become blinded to what it means to be at the center of God's creation. Not kings, but caretakers. God's work is loving the world. If God's work is loving the world, it easily follows then that to say that as his disciples, this is our work as well. Can not this be our offering of praise? Jesus was careful to set expectations for his disciples as they were being sent out with the mission to spread the word among neighboring towns and villages. This is the context in which we find them this morning. In the story of Matthew's gospel, this is still early on in their time together, you see. So we might imagine a lot of questions, a lot of what ifs and a few, you know, Jesus, maybe I could go next time. I'm just not sure I'm ready. They knew the message they carried was a dangerous one. It threatened to decenter their way of being. Loving the world is much more complicated than dominating it. It demands more of this, more of us than we are ready to give. So Jesus spent a moment reminding them of their place. As he prepared them, he set the stage for what was to come. Jesus reminded them not to take anything with them, simplicity. They should live on the hospitality of others. Jesus reminded them to leave a place where they were not welcomed. Purpose. They had things to do and a message to proclaim. Jesus reminded them that what they would say would likely be met by threats of death. A little foreshadowing on the gospel writer's part, we can be sure, but they should keep going, for what they had to say was life. And Jesus reminded them what the psalmist and the prophet had said before, that God redeemed them, every hair, God attended to them, God knew them just as God knew when even one sparrow fell to the ground. They were of value to God. So every other threat, even unto death, rang hollow in the depth of God's care. The disciples' place between death and life, between fear and love, as frail as ashes to ashes and dust to dust, and as exalted as the center of God's created world, this was the tenuous place where Jesus needed them to stand firm. Not as kings, but as caretakers, willing to live simply and with purpose, The message they carried, the one he embodied, was of a sovereign unlike any other at the time or any other time in history. As one former mentor observes, this God of the sparrows is a God who not only numbers all of our days, but numbers the hairs on our heads. This is not the God of the deists, a distant deity who set the world in motion only to withdraw from any active engagement with the world. 
Jesus speaks of and sends his disciples to tell of a God who is to be trusted and feared precisely because God does not disengage from this world. My work, says God, is loving the world. It is precisely what the disciples were sent to do, following the manner of God incarnate to love the world with a message that God attends to every single beloved part of it. Tell this in poetry or in song, in story, or in act with words or in being. Experience the world with awe, rejoice, be grateful, proclaim again and again how we are meant to live forever. The poet sums it up well, as poets are apt to do. Praise with our presence, praise with our words, praise with our attention, praise with our courage, praise with our gratitude, praise with our intentioned changing habits, praise with our caretaking. Over this past year, many of us have found renewal in creation and with creatures great and small. And if you are like me, this has buffered our anxiety, our loneliness, and our fear. We have ridden our bikes more and driven our cars less. We've awoken to new bird songs, learned the names of flowers we'd never known before, tried our hands at bread baking while the yeast quickened in our sticky palms. For the briefest of moments, even we imagined that the cessation of our feverish activity would have measurable positive impact on this world. And though it did not, because we have acted as kings and dominators far too long, perhaps the experience of this year has renewed in us the grounding of our place, and a voice for the praise of our lives. Our work is loving the world into which God has so carefully placed us. So we write our thank you notes, expressing our gratitude for this wondrous gift with a renewed commitment to be generous caretakers. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this sermon recorded for the 20th of June, 2021, titled In a Spotlight of God's Love by Reverend Sarah Cooper Seary. We'll see you soon and may the peace of Christ be with you.